Hey, before we get on to this new episode, if you're looking to add more science-based tools to your teaching, I want to give you a two-week free trial of the VIP membership. Two weeks, 100% for free. You'll get access to a host of workshops, including ones on sciatica, total knee replacements, uh, tennis elbow, and so much more. Okay, In fact, you'll also get to join live workshops every single month, and I'll provide you research reviews, programming support, tons of Pilates classes, and a host of other resources to help you become the best instructor possible. Go ahead and start your two-week free trial with the link in the show notes, and if you decide it's not for you, no problem. You can cancel at no cost, and you'll just end up getting some free education along the way. But if you love it and you want to keep it, you can do so for as low as $1 per day. You have no risk, and by starting your free trial, you might just expose yourself to the best education of your career. With that said, let's get on to this new episode. Welcome to the Evidence-Based Pilates Podcast, and I have a treat for you today. The one, the only, Natalie Wilson is back on the podcast. Well, welcome back, Natalie. Thank you, Adam. It is really good to see your face. I yeah. miss seeing you. <laughs> it's awesome to hang out, too, everyone. We were just chatting for like 30 minutes, catching up, and I was like, wait, we have to hit record. So <laughs> now we hit record, and it's awesome to be um, with each and every one of you. Uh, Natalie's been on the podcast um, a couple of times. For those that um, are unaware of your work, Natalie, if it's the first time interacting with you, meaning the listeners, um, could you uh, do an elevator pitch of who you are, what you do? Yeah, sure. I am a Pilates doer and a Pilates teacher and a Pilates educator. I am located in Seattle, Washington. I teach at a local studio. I also teach at a local hospital um, system. And I am an educator for Breathe Education and therefore am a colleague of yours. And I miss seeing you because you were on clinicals now and I used to see you every week and now I don't. So Sunday morning talk with Adam is, is a real yeah, treat to see you, Adam. Yeah, we're getting caffeinated and folding laundry and stuff. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, no, but it's awesome uh, to see you. And I heard Breathe Education is good. If anyone hasn't heard of them, um, check them out. They're super good. They have a podcast called Pilates Elephants. I recommend it. Um, so with this, uh, I, I, some, I just look for reasons to bring you back on the podcast, and I found one. Um, and so the topic of today is going to be like, are we watering down Pilates? And this was inspired, and it wasn't, well, it wasn't um, ill-intended, it wasn't mean or anything like that. I just felt like this phrase really put a common experience into perspective. Like, it put it into words of, I, I made a post about, like, hey, maybe we add weights to Pilates, and then there is a comment of, like, our, like, referring to us watering it down by adding weight. And it wasn't mean or anything like that. I don't remember who it was, but it was those words were like, oh, that's perfect for a common argument against changing it. Because it's like the idea of watering down a substance means you're reducing value. Like if you go order like a vodka soda and then at a bar and then they pour water in it, it's less valuable. Or it could be like your coffee. If I see the person, the barista, and I see my coffee half full and then they put just a bunch of ice on it to make it double the height, that reduces value. Ice is just water. Um, so point is like saying we're watering down Pilates means by like we're making it worse. We're making it less valuable. And I would just like to say that maybe we're adding electrolytes um, to it. And, and, and that was the inspiration for today's conversation. But like, Natalie, what does it mean to you, this phrase of like, are we watering down Pilates? It's so funny that you brought up alcohol because that's exactly what I was thinking of before falling asleep last night. I was thinking, oh, I'm going to be on this podcast with Adam. What are we going to talk about? And I was thinking about the phrase watering down. And I thought, when you water down something, you're diluting something. You're diluting the purity of something. So I was thinking Kool-Aid, <laughs> vodka. <laughs> um, yeah, and like you said, the the idea of watering something down really is not a positive 
terminology. It, it means that we are making something, we're modifying something, making it less than. And when you proposed this topic to me, the first thing I thought of was, if you're adding weights or cardio or other gym exercises to your Pilates session, there's, there's an intention behind it. And most of us do that so that we can actually make our clients stronger, to challenge them, you know, to increase strength, range of motion or control. So I feel like the idea of watering something down is really like if, you know, everybody's talking about like girl math and Pilates math. Well, the Pilates math, I think, is wrong in this in this calculation. If you are in the business to actually get people stronger physically, adding weights, adding other exercises, adding on a spring, adding more reps does not dilute the purity of Pilates. Um, it actually makes it better because you are trying to serve your clients and meet their goals. However, and I think this is something that we can talk about as well, is if you have a client whose goal is to learn contrology in the exact spirit of how Joseph Pilates taught it, yeah, you're watering down Pilates if you're adding weights. Because as far as we can tell, Joseph Pilates didn't do those things. But I don't honestly know any single client in the time that I've been doing or teaching Pilates of someone who's coming in because they want to learn Pilates exactly the way Joseph Pilates taught it, or exactly the way Romana taught it, or anybody. Most people who come to Pilates don't even know these people. They don't even know who Joseph Pilates is. <laughs> yeah, I was sharing that the other day with someone that it was a person, and they were like, "What?" You know, it's like the common, the common dialogue. And and I think a big part of this is that, like there's. There's so many roads that we can take. And, and the first, like, um, the first left turn that I'm going to take us down is that, like, I, I think I feel there's so much value in detaching from the need that, that of Joseph Pilates' hypothetical approval, right? Because it's really like meaning, and, and, and it can go either way, right? Because on one side of the coin is, well, um, the argument of like, if Joseph didn't teach it or the uh, people close to him didn't teach it, then it's not Pilates. That's one side of it, right? He wouldn't approve because it's not Pilates. And then the other side is like, Joseph Pilates was an inventor and he, and he would have evolved, right? And it's like, that's the other side, but it's two sides of the same coin. It's two sides saying Joseph Pilates approved of this. And like, what if we prioritize helping the person in front of us in 2024 rather than first I need approval, then I can help you. Like, what if we just went to helping? Like, is that, like, that? that's where I am um, in my practice. And it's okay if a listener doesn't identify with that. But if someone does, I just want to say that, like, you have permission and you're not alone in, like, just prioritizing helping people. But then there is that line of, like, like I wouldn't teach a Zumba class and be like, welcome to Pilates. You know what I mean? Like, 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 where do you land on that? Where it's like prioritizing helping people, but then still calling it Pilates. Yeah. Um, there will be Pilates in my class, whether it's a reformer class or a mat class, there will be some sort of original or derivative of original of Pilates so that I can call it Pilates. And typically in my classes, like I just taught a reformer. No, it wasn't a reformer. It was a tower and mat class yesterday at the studio so a lot of the tower exercises are classical original pilates exercises but then i took the long box put it on the floor and we did step ups like circuits of step ups and circuits of moving planks moving planks meaning you start off with your hands and then you go down to your forearms and then you know you come back to your hands so i did <laughs> oh is that what it's called <laughs> yeah so if you come to my class you will recognize very familiar flavors of Pilates. It is a Pilates class and I'm teaching it in a Pilates studio and I'm using, you know, Pilates equipment. But my clients are coming to me not for original Joseph approved, whatever that even means, uh, Pilates. They're coming to me because 
by and large, most of them want to get stronger because they feel like being stronger and being active makes them feel better and makes them do life better. And, you know, one of the things that um, I think about is Joseph's book, Return to Life. I think my belief is that Joseph Pilates would do anything he needed to do to change his method so that people could do life better. That's my belief. But, but the other part of me feels really cynical, even about having this conversation, because every, all of this debate surrounds somebody who died many, many years ago, and we continue to live in the past. And I, I really, you know, the term that I used, I was talking with you about yesterday over text is this idea that we seem to have this, we seem to have a section in our industry that is really hell bent on like wanting us to stay very original under some sort of holy mission to keep Pilates pure when all it seems to me is arrested development because there's so much research out there, uncontroversial research out there that shows how we can level up the Pilates method, how we can take Pilates, keep the elements that we really love, but then add elements to it that really actually help our clients grow in strength, range of motion and control. So going back to your original question, how do I make my Pilates sessions Pilates? I give them some Pilates, but that's not all I give them because I'm going to put it out here for the record. The way that I think of Pilates, the way that I was originally taught Pilates is not enough to build physical capacity. It is not enough. I needed to, con I needed to study and find other things in order to make not, not even to make my practice better, but for me to serve my clients better. What I, about I, you? You're, you're my teacher. You, this is, I, I, learned, I learned from watching you. you talk, learned, why don't you talk about it? I learned from you as well, Natalie. Are you suggesting that you benefited from more education that was not attached to Pilates? I, yeah, I'm not suggesting. I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to ask it like that. Now, there's this, um, you use the word pure or purity a couple of times. And I remember, yeah, I've just been in those conversations where it's like, I teach pure purity or one of some term like that. But that's another authentic, term, yeah, real. Where, yeah, there's like, the, there's a duality to it. And it's like, pure means that other things are not pure and so purity would be like i this is the real stuff this is higher value and it's these terms that are utilized to suggest that other interpretations are less than it they are watered down and one thing that i've really learned is the value of having playing on both sides of any topic and you usually land in the middle somewhere and usually when individuals will be on like the um, just original side of things, it's because that's where their education is, right? Like, like not always, but most of the time, that's just where their education is. And so they haven't actually taken the time or opportunity or had the interest to be educated otherwise. And they don't have to, but there's a difference between this is how I learned Pilates and this is how I, as a human, like Pilates. So I choose to share it this way. There's a difference between that and saying, this is the real Pilates. Okay. These other people just don't know. It's like, it's like it's watered down, but this is the real stuff, right? The latter is a, is a statement of more um, ignorance and things of that nature. And Pilates at the end of the day is all Pilates is contrology inspired. You can be one degree away. I don't think you should do full contrology. I just posted on that the other day where Joseph Pilates was like decapitating a client. Like, like no, insure, no one's going to insure you, right? You're getting sued. No, <laughs> yeah. so no one's going to hire you. Can you imagine seeing that? Like you're walking by a studio. It's one of those, listener, it's one of those clips where like Joseph's like banging someone's head against their like knee. Um, and so could you imagine like walking by a Pilates studio, right? You just get like some ice cream, you're walking with your friends and you look in the window. Cause sometimes you can look in the window and then you just see someone like getting their hair pulled and like getting slammed, like in the air, like not violent, but like quote unquote, helping people. <laughs> yeah. There's the, your friends aren't going to come to Pilates. So, um, that was a ramble worth the humor. So with this. I think a good conversation, a good starter is like, well, what are the, like, what are the, 
the, the happenings or the benefits and limitations of typical Pilates. When I say typical Pilates, I mean, like you, you did like your, like the United States, I, I think we can both speak to the United States kind of education of Pilates. What is, what is there and like what's missing? Okay. Yeah. And no, I think this is a, I was just thinking as you were talking, oh, we should probably, we should probably define what I mean by yeah. conditional, con conventional or traditional Pilates. So here's, I want to hear what you have to say too, because maybe you come from a different uh, school of thought. When I was originally trained, it was low reps. Like you only did the amount of reps before you got ugly, right? So it's like pick an exercise, any exercise. You only do the amount where you can hold your technique and form. When you start to get ugly, you've gone too far. So that's, that's one thing that I think about with Pilates. The other thing is um, you, you learn on a specific prescription of springs and there wasn't really a lot of talk about increasing or decreasing the springs to either support or actually that's not true. There was more talk about spring settings in terms of modifying the springs for support, but not a lot of modification to make it more challenging. Uh, so Pilates just feels very, oh, easy is not the right word that I want to use. Uh, to me, the way that I was originally taught, the, the, the amount of reps and springs that you use and the actual exercises that you selected in your programming was such that at any given point, your clients all look like they could be performing, you know, that they were they had good form and they weren't overly exerting themselves. And, and so, you know, Pilates was really pretty. Uh, that's how I, that's how I learned it. And then of course my evolution now is like, I encourage people to go as much as they can. I encourage them to get ugly because to me, that's where the strength uh, stimulus happens not just the strength stimulus, but the mental stimulus of being able to take it on a little bit more, you know, to struggle a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I remember, um, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I remember when yeah. I first started training at Breathe and, you know, the, the these are like the most wonderful, crazy Australians that we've ever met. And they're just like, we're going to do this exercise for three minutes. I'm like, what? Three minutes? Is this person's name, does it rhyme with Keith? Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, Heath Lander. Um, and I just remember my mind being blown because three minutes where I come from in my original training, three minutes was probably three exercises, not one. So that's, that's the way, that's how I was originally trained that Pilates should, should be at a level that is doable enough that nobody can break form. And, and I got to tell you what, like, I still work with clients who come see me for the first time, and they're dying, because even though they are, quote, unquote, advanced clients, they've been with the studio for a really long time. They're just not used to the amount of spring load and reps sometimes that I that I offer as a beginning, because um, that's not how they were taught. What what was what's your idea of conventional, traditional Pilates. How were you raised? Yeah. Oh, you want to know how I was raised like in the nineties, like <laughs> with my mom cussing at the highway to get me to school on time. You want to go down that? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways. So um, I think this is a really awesome conversation because we, there are so, this, there are so many different versions of this and dear listener, this is not like the way these are like two different experiences that I hope are useful for you to, and that's just inspiring for you to grow professionally and personally and, and provide your clients the best care. Um, I was taught very similarly uh, to you, Natalie. A lot of it was aesthetically based. Like you mentioned, like if you lost um, form, then you had to stop because that means bad things are going to happen. And then we were usually putting on causality of that. Like we assumed it's like, it's cause you're weak or something like that. And we were not testing it. 
Um, so, so we confuse aesthetics with function, right? And then there was an absence of base of understanding of like basic uh, concepts of exercise science. For example, what strength is. We, I think we should, what pain is, like just really common definitions that are really important and they're not controversial um, and things of that nature. And they're really easy to find if the teacher trainer or the studio owner just Googles what is strength or academic definition. Like, like there was just none of that. So then, but we're also paying thousands of dollars. So it's like, it's really easy to to believe what's what we're told, right? And and that's where it doesn't lie in the, there's no fault of the instructor, right? This is an education problem. And so there was also that like springs don't, like, like springs never changed um, for me. It was always blame the client. Hey, we didn't say that, but we were taught to, the client is doing something. Like we had to look deeper, go deeper. Like we didn't understand and the client didn't understand why, why they don't feel their triceps on a blue spring during pulling straps. I swear to God, like, like I'm, I was 180 pound, 21 year old male, like athlete. I could dunk a basketball at the time. I can't anymore, but that's okay. I'm still a good person. And I couldn't, like they wouldn't let me go to a full spring on pulling straps. I was supposed to squeeze my triceps to make them burn, which you can, but... <laughs> then it's like we don't understand how to get muscles stronger that just creates like a um like a, a a pain threshold right like you're just creating pain to call it an exercise so i was taught things like that um and i yeah it was always like go deeper go deeper into the work go deeper and i and anyone who's like oh my god i've been told that you've probably gone deep enough. Like you don't have to keep going deeper into the method. Sometimes take a left and learn something else and then apply it to what you've already learned. Like that's where you'll grow the most. Um, and then something that, that I was also taught was like, we always did Pilates to get better at Pilates. It wasn't focused on get better at an activity. What's meaningful to your client? Are they an athlete? Are they just a recreational athlete? Are, what are they having trouble with? Like, why? How about this one? Why are they here? <laughs> right? Like, there was none of that. And, and it wasn't ill-intended. And the, the programs, I've learned from every program that I've taken. Um, and, and that's why I'm here and able to help. And this isn't a bash, but it's like, you should be able to talk about pros and cons of any education. If not, that's an education. That's another education problem. Um, and so something just as simple as like, I'm going to choose these exercises to help this person get up the stairs. And then recognizing that you don't, like it would be really helpful if you put the long box, have you ever heard of this one, Natalie? If you put the long box on the floor, it's not Pilates, and then you have them step on the box so, and they, they, they go all the way up and there's no pedal underneath them, right? No one to chair helping them get up. And then they come down to the floor. And then when they do it, um, you do it again, but maybe faster. Have you heard of this one? Um, I have them right here um, behind me. Uh, you can hand them like a kettlebell. Not, I'm not talking highlighter weights. Like that's like the weight of their cell phone. Like <laughs> hand them a kettlebell and then like have them stand up, up and down. So what I'm talking about is using the law of specificity. It's a ramble, but it's worth it. So the law of specificity is like you, you do exercises that look and model an activity. And if you do it really well, and if you have the time with the person, which as a Pilates instructor, you do, cause you're not running insurance where you only have like, like I only have six weeks with someone like commonly as a, as a physical therapist. And like, you just like, you're on continuity with these people. Like you can, you have so much time with them. You can actually make the exercise harder than the activity. And I'm sorry, but like one to chair step ups are great, but there's no, like, unless if you're in Mexico and trying to go up one of the curbs, have you ever been seeing the curbs in Mexico? They're freaking massive. No, <laughs> no step is as high as the one to chair. So that's where it's like, you, you, I'm going on a ramble of like, like going on like stair climbing. So the, the point is, as I zoom back out, 
helping a client achieve what they need to do is something that was missing in this. And when you actually double click on that and you no longer care of like, am I doing Pilates or not? And you actually prioritize helping the person, you just make decisions and then you may or may not land in a Pilates based field. Um, so there's that. Oh, there is one more thing in the notes that you said, you mentioned getting ugly with exercises. Um, I would like to ask you, like, what does that mean? Like, should we not do our makeup or like, what, what do you mean by getting ugly? Getting ugly. Yeah. I like to use the word getting ugly because to me, it's a proxy for nearing failure. So we should not have people be successful and just make them fail. <laughs> and then they're going to be ugly. And we go, you're so ugly. I'm laughing because I feel like we're back in diploma land where you're just going to keep pushing my buttons. And I hope you're enjoying the podcast. My only ask of you as a listener is to leave a five star review. Leaving a review helps this podcast grow and have a greater influence on the Pilates industry. I do this 100% for free. I do not and will never accept advertisements on this podcast. It is 100% for free. And you can go ahead and make a huge difference and allow this to grow by leaving a five-star review. Um, getting ugly, getting them to failure means doing like, we'll just use something very simple like a push-up, um, which is kind of Pilates, right? Pilates, Joseph Pilates does a Pilates push-up, which by the way, I teach almost every mat class. Yeah, awesome. I love it. Um, but if we look at push-ups, uh, I am not going to prescribe to my clients. If it's push-up time, I'm just like, you find the push-up position that you want to work on today. And you're going to do them until you can no longer do them. So they're successful. Most of them are successful for like the first five or six. And then by about seven, eight, you can start to see them get ugly. They start to, uh, their hips start to dip down towards the floor. If they're doing a full push-up, they get slower. Their elbows start to really flare out because they're, you know, their upper body's trying to really help them. Um, and I will say to them, this is exactly where I want you to be. I want you to push yourself to the place where you can no longer hold your good form and technique anymore, because that is how you tell your brain, give me a little bit more muscle so I can do a few more. So yeah, that's what I mean by getting ugly and reaching failure. I, I absolutely, it's very important to me to make sure that my clients have early success. I think that's really important because I actually, I did... I just had a conversation with one of my clients. She's a longtime client. She has multiple sclerosis. I work with her at the hospital and she cannot feel her feet. So even though she's been doing Pilates with me since 2016, if you didn't know who she was, you would think that she was just getting started because her body doesn't cooperate the way she would like it to. She knows what a, an amazing bridge is. She can't. She just can't do an amazing bridge in the way that normal people, able-bodied people can because she can't feel her feet. But I remember talking to her about it and I was talking to her about how much I love pushing her and she will take that challenge. But she said to me, I really like the challenges you give, but it is really important for me to also have some wins because I don't want to feel like shit if all I can do is just be challenged and, and not do you know, do everything really poorly. And I really took that to heart because even though I teach it, even though you and I both teach it to our teachers in training that we want to give early success, I needed that reminder because I've worked with her for so long and I take for granted that she's just kicking ass and doing what she needs to do. But her saying to me, I like you challenging me, but I also need you to give me some things that I feel really amazing in and I can win at, I, that really gave me pause. What a great lesson. Yeah. It's like you, it's even as an instructor teaching for years and years and teaching other people, you find yourself reminded to apply the content in week one of the cert. Yeah. Yeah. Same, you know, same here. Um, you know, I'm working in rehab setting right now, you know, in a physical therapy clinic, working with like total knee replacements, total pain catastrophizing. 
and just applying these concepts is is such a skill um but but also such a beautiful thing and and like you mentioned the the value of providing wins to your client with that which i also think is really it, which wasn't taught in my my united states based um, pilates education um which is like motor learning 101 like have people be successful and then celebrating that um and and you use the the term of like amazing bridge right and and the, and within this there's such a beauty of being able for us to pivot as an instructor of redefining like you, we we have to constantly redefine terms redefining what an amazing bridge is right yeah. so an amazing bridge for like Haley Hawkins is going to be like, whoa, <laughs> put that on fucking Instagram. Like make it a real, yeah. put the music on it, boom, you just got some more followers, right? That's something different. Whereas yeah. maybe an amazing bridge for like your client that you're referring to or, or in, in other individuals that we're working with is just like getting all the way up. Like, or even ah. not even all the way up, like two inches off the mat with her hips all cattywampus. That's you, her amazing bridge. Yeah. Or you felt like shit today. Like, and you showed up and we are here, right? And we're just doing a pelvic tilt, you know? It's like, that's freaking amazing, right? Like, look at you, you're here, right? That's the hardest part. You know, there, there's just like redefining um, what what amazing is. And also going to like your push-up example of like redefining um, what what strength is, redefining like what's helpful for a client, what's beneficial in, in a, which which goes back further into our conversation of like, don't confuse aesthetics with function. So back in, back in my day, um, you know, first learning Pilates or learning, learning Pilates in different ways, the mat push-up, you did one. Like you, you're, you start in half, you start folded in half. We, we learned starting standing and then I've also learned starting folded in half. You walk out, but your hips aren't supposed to move side to side, even though that's how by that's how like the body works. Um, so like we were ashamed for that because we didn't like the way it looked. And then um, you're there, you do one push up, elbows have to be tight for some reason, and then you come back up. And you might do it like three times, maybe five if we're getting crazy and we're like we're really making it hard today. But we never just like kept doing the push up. Like, why don't you just keep going? And like, how many, how many can you do? <laughs> and then there's that fifth one that you're talking about where the hips go down. And we, we do this thing and you have to put the word hyper in it. So, you, you know, we're serious. You hyper extend in your low back. That's never like, anytime you have hyper, it's automatically dangerous, right? Hyper extend. So we hyper extend in your low back, otherwise known as extension which we do in swan and one leg kick and double leg kick, which is just fine. But now it's dangerous because we're doing it in a push-up. So we usually are, we're told to stop, right? In things like that. But what you're referring to is like, that's actually a really good sign, right? And then providing that information to your client to be like, awesome, that's good information, right? It's not like a bad thing. Like, like that's when you're getting fatigued because if you are doing an exercise with perfect form, you're not providing the, if, you, if, if you're doing an exercise and you stop when your form is no longer perfect, let's say that, you're not providing enough stimulus to, to get the muscles stronger, meaning mechanical tension. Because when an exercise is really hard, you get alternative alignment. And also the, the motor patterns that we have in like, let's say a squat, they are different when you're doing a body weight squat and when you're doing one that's heavy as shit. Because when you do one that's heavy as shit, when you're at the bottom, you're going to do this dangerous thing called knee valgus, where your knees go together and then you come up. So and I think that's a thing that comes up is like when we add a spring, we start, there's a common claim that now we're watering down Pilates because the movement looks different. And so they're using the wrong muscles. So how do you handle your clients using the wrong muscles? (laughs) 
Uh, you, I don't even think about my clients' muscles. You don't I just bring don't. out an electromyography? No. And I don't bring out my x-ray vision either. I put my x-ray vision to bed when I retrained uh, because I, believe it or not, my x-ray vision was shit. So, you know, I couldn't tell if they were using the right muscles or the wrong muscles, if they were making sure that their little muscles were activated and not, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> I'm just fooling around. Um, yeah, I, I really do my best to not ever bring up muscles. In fact, I think as I'm looking back, I taught three classes yesterday, back to back. I don't think I brought up a single muscle at all in the three hours that I taught. Not one muscle. Mm -mm. Yeah, a lot of times, and this is kind of like a whole other topic, but we're going down a left turn again, Natalie. A lot of times, like cues or ideas, or even just the idea of we're doing Pilates exactly the way Joseph taught it, that's for the instructor. Like that's for our own validation. And so rather than like doing it for the client. So for example, telling a client like this exercise is for your glute medius and your glute medius, you know, prevents, it helps you um, with balance, you know, when you're on a single leg stance, like the client probably doesn't care about the glute medius. I've just, for example, um, and, and a lot of times, like we're just saying that for our own needs. Like, does that make sense? Like, mm -hmm. like, like the more I learn, the less anatomy I refer to. But I would say that it's not awful to talk about muscles because if you have a client who's like on their goal, on their goal, let's say they're like total knee replacement and they're like, I need to strengthen my quadriceps. Can I do that here? Because they're physical therapists, which you do need to strengthen the quadriceps and everything else um, for a total knee replacement. So then you're doing like single leg footwork in their, their, their knee. Don't tell anyone, but it starts to wobble, right? It's going to the side. And then you tell them like, oh, this is great for your quadriceps, right? You know, that, that could be awesome, but it's not because like they need to use their quadriceps, but you can use that information to leverage their belief that what you're doing is helpful. So you're enhancing expectations. Yes, I'm nodding emphatically because you reminded me of the nuance that I should have said, which is I didn't bring up muscles because nobody asked me and there was no need for it. However, it's just like what you said. I work with some clients who are really big into improving their posture. And I'm not necessarily of the camp that believes Pilates is going to fix your posture, especially if you're only doing Pilates once a week. However, um, I like to bring up muscles if I feel like it's going to motivate my clients. So for instance, um, we were doing an exercise the other day and it was hard. It was swimming. Uh, no, 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 it wasn't swimming. It was, I, I don't remember. I just remember saying to them, oh, you know, you know how you're talking about your, your posture. This exercise starts to really work into your serratus anterior, which is a postural muscle. And it, that was it, you know, and it was just, and they're like, I'm going to stick around for a little bit longer. So yeah, I do like to um, do a little bit of, Pilates ninja work if I have to, just to keep my clients motivated. Because to me, that is one of my jobs is, you know, to but, motivate my clients, not necessarily to educate them, to just motivate them. But Joseph never talked about muscles. So if you talk about muscles, aren't you just watering down Pilates? I mean, Joseph never talked, right? <laughs> like, uh, apparently, I mean, the, the historical records show that he was not a big talker in the studio. So I guess the way that I was taught Pilates, like there's no stopping talking. It's just a what I like to call an all you can eat, never ending word salad buffet <laughs> in, in the Pilates that I was taught. So is that Pilates? Yeah. I'm just having fun. <laughs> but this is where it's like, there's so many ways to win. And sometimes like we end up doing very similar things that we may have done five or 10 years ago or at the beginning of our training whenever that was, could have been a couple months ago. But the reason why you do it changes. Like your reasoning becomes more sophisticated, right? And that's where it's like, you don't need to know anatomy to teach Pilates, for example, because like, you, like it's not in return to life. It's not, anatomy doesn't really tell you about movement. You can talk about exercises without talking about anatomy, but it is, but I would be an advocate that at some point in time, you should study anatomy. 
as a movement educator. Um, like I said on a different podcast, I think it was with, with Kyle, like if you don't know what a hamstring is, like I think that's weird. And I, it, you know, it, like if you think it's like a food or something, it's like <laughs> yeah. the back of the leg. And so I think you should know like a little bit of it in the, in the meat, like there's, there's, you can, you can have better clinical decision-making, but even just for the reason of being able to answer a client's question and not so that your client receives the information because they'll probably forget it by next week of like what the hamstring does. But what you're, what you can do is you can um, build a therapeutic alliance with them. So they have more confidence in you as a practitioner you have more confidence in you as a practitioner, which comes off um, in your instructions. And when someone, when you're more confident and your clients more confident in, in your instruction, then you can have a better movement experience. And, and also like with, with you talking about posture and stuff, this is where I, I land in the middle. I used to be like all about posture. I once sat up straight for 40 minutes straight, read a Pilates interview. Cause I was, I think afraid. we all did that. Yeah. Do you do that too? Yeah. I even got compliments on my posture. I was a, basically a mannequin. Um, so it stayed there. And then I've also been like the opposite where it's like, fuck it, it doesn't matter. And I'm like in the middle, right? It's like, because I think you should, you should have as many movement options as possible. And posture is just your dynamic relationship to your environment. And so if someone is like kyphotic and they're unable to go to extension, I think that's a problem. It, it, yeah. Like it's, or it's, it's not like a problem in the sense of that's why your back hurts. Because mm -hmm. that might not be why. But I do feel like it's normal for the human body to be able to rotate you know, side to side, you should be able to look over the shoulder to drive or to yell at your kids, whatever you're doing, or in backbend. So in that case, it's like, well, yeah, like I would go to some postural stuff, but the reason is different, mm -hmm. right? The reason is just more sophisticated. It's like, I think humans should be able to do this. So that's, that's why we're doing this. And also if the client values it. Now, if you could wave your magic wand, and you are not going to put water in Pilates, in the typical Pilates, right? And, and there's so much, so many awesome things with typical Pilates, right? But you are going to put like electrolytes in the water or, or, or vodka in the soda, like whatever <laughs> like language you speak, you're going to add a substance that has perceived value. What would you add to a common Pilates experience and why? Hmm. Yeah, this is an exciting part of our conversation because the what I was thinking of when you first proposed this topic, I was like, you know, it's like going to Chipotle, right? Like your normal bowl is like rice, beans and meat, but then like everything else is like a value add. <laughs> and I'm going to get my money's worth when I'm at Chipotle. I'm going to get the grilled vegetables. I'm going to get two kinds of salsa, extra cheese, sour cream corn, you know, like it's all, it, I want a really big fat burrito bowl at the end of it. Um, that being said, I am also a proponent of keeping things simple because I was raised by Heath Lander and um, <clears throat> I don't like to use a ton of props. So my typical Pilates sessions where I feel like I'm getting, giving my clients the biggest bang for their buck will typically include some sort of strength element where I'm trying to get them close to failure. So that oftentimes includes weights, hand weights. At the studio that I work at, we have hand weights. We, that would, yeah, we have hand weights. Um, and then I also teach Pilates to people who are working out from their own home. So typically they have hand weights as well. So that's one thing that I always use. And if people don't have hand weights, I try really hard in my repertoire to make sure that I know some body weight exercises that I can give to people to challenge their strength and to stimulate strength. And then I do also include elements of cardio. I really try hard to do that. And what I have found when I have worked in the studio and I bring in cardio and strength, 
the clients who have not worked with me very long and have, but have been with the studio for a long time, those are the biggest rude awakenings for them. They had no idea they were going to huff and puff. They had no idea they were going to pick up hand weights and do hand weights in the warm up. Oh my God. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I keep things really, really simple. I, I do not like to use a lot of props. Maybe that's another conversation for another time why I choose not to use a lot of props. I feel like props water down Pilates. Oh. It just did. I don't know. But I'm looking. I don't think there are props. I don't know. He made he made the Pilates circle, didn't he? Did he not? Am oh, I yeah. making that up? Yeah, like a beer from a beer keg. I don't mm. know. Um, yeah. But here's a, I have a question for you because I get asked this question all the time. Okay. Why don't you just tell them to go to the gym if you want to do strength training and, and cardio? Just go to the gym. I do encourage people to work out more than them coming to Pilates. But when they're here with me, I'm going to maximize the time that they have. I'm not going to assume that they're getting anything else. I would like there to be. Here's another thing that I like to do with all of my clients is I actually like to drill into them the physical activity guidelines so that they know why I'm doing what I'm doing. So if I'm about to do cardio with them, I will say to them, okay, we're going to do one minute of cardio three times. And you will still need. 175 to 300 minutes of cardio or minus three minutes within this week. So I really do. Uh, that's the other, that's the other prop that I use is the physical activity guidelines. I am so proud. I feel like a proud mama bear when I ask my clients, what are the physical activity guidelines? And like, somebody's like, it's 150 minutes of cardio and two strict sessions. Yeah. So weights, and body weight exercises if I have to, and bits of cardio here and there, and Pilates, freaking Pilates, man, real Pilates, original Joseph Pilates Pilates is what I do. What about you? Yeah, like it it depends, right? It's it's client-centered care. Sometimes I won't do the cardio stuff because it's like I've had people where it's like, you exercise too much. <laughs> like, like you literally do, like you're seven days a week three hours, you know, it's just kind of like, you, know, you don't need any work, but that's like a, a unicorn client. Most clients in my experience in the Pilates space, they just do Pilates or like they're at Pilates because they don't like the gym. Yeah. Right. And then there will be people that also go to the gym and have a personal trainer. I used to teach in like really affluent areas where they could do like Pilates, you know, two days a week and then personal training three days a week. It always depends on the client. But what I would say is like Pilates is, and I get this from Anula Myberg, like Pilates is expensive exercise. And like you can easily, at least here in Southern California, you can easily drop $800 a month on Pilates, doing it twice a week for private sessions. You could also get like an unlimited membership for group classes at like your local club Pilates and it's like $200 or $175. It's, it's high-end gym. Like, if, like I go to a higher-end gym because that's just why I, I choose the value. And it's like, it's $200 for a membership, but you can also get a membership. You can also get a gym membership for like 20 bucks. I think if you pay for Pilates, which is a more expensive form of exercise, you should at least meet the minimum threshold of physical activity guidelines. And so to deny that for someone or to not fulfill that and be like, yeah, you still have to go to the gym and stuff. Like, I think that's watering down the experience of Pilates because you're because it's saying like, yeah, we're gonna bend you and and good stuff, super healthy stuff, but you you're still at risk for a heart attack, right? Um, so like, that's that's just one thing that I think of. It's like, why would I like? It goes back to like, I just want to help people. How can I help someone the most? And the reason, um, dear listener, why we're advocates for meeting physical activity guidelines, one in five, only one in five individuals worldwide meet physical activity guidelines. You have a class full of 10 people, only two of them meet it. That's what that, that means. Yeah, I did my math right. So, and when individuals meet physical activity guidelines of 150 minutes of cardio per week, 
plus at least two resistance training sessions, they have a 40% less chance of dying in the next like eight and a half years was the last data that I, I pulled or that I recognized. What better value can you add to someone than years of their life? Like that's like that's that's years that you get to spend with your kids, with your friends and family, places you get to see. You just get, you get to be here, and then obviously we're improving the quality of that because it's going to be better if you can walk up the hill. Um, you know what I mean? So so that's where like I would I would land with that is like why not just have them go to the gym because they're spending good money and I know how to help you. But if you tell me you're going to the gym, it's client-centered care. Cool. What do you do at the gym? Oh, you sit on the bike. Cool. Sounds like you're not doing upper body work. Let's do some, you, you know what I mean? It's like, let's do some of that. So I just think it's it's such a cop-out to just tell them to go to the gym. It's like you're out, it's like you're outsourcing like your work. And I don't think that that's that's appropriate. Like we have a duty of care to do the to help our clients the best we can. If we know we can help them with some cardio work and some strength work. I feel that that is the most appropriate thing to do. And I understand that's not for everyone and that's okay. Um, but some people will really, really appreciate it. Well, and honestly, if, you know, no matter what side of, of the line you're straddling, whether you are somebody who is very keen on sticking with pure Pilates, authentic Pilates versus somebody who's willing to add to it, dilute it, whatever, whatever it is you want to call it. Most of us want to say that we empower clients and that we want to provide client-centered care. So it starts with actually asking your clients, you know, why are you here? So if your client is here because they want pure 100% authentic Joseph Pilates Pilates, then freaking give them Joseph Pilates Pilates. If you know how to do it, and I know how to do it, I choose not to. Because Pilates, the way that I understand it, is just not enough for some of the clients that I have. Uh, most, not most, every single one of my clients that I work with right now and I have worked with in the past have wanted, have come to Pilates because they believe Pilates will make them stronger and live longer and live better lives. So for me, that means pulling all of the skills that I've been able to learn and trying to create something that is worthy of their time and money. It's a, like, you know, like you said, like Anula said, it's a huge investment. Um, it's really important to understand what it actually means to strengthen your clients. Like I was thinking about, I think it was Raf, Raf Bender, our friend and boss, who posted yesterday about, you know, like squeezing your glutes, activating your muscles does not strengthen that is a huge, I, I hope that they're still not teaching that in Pilates schools. Hard for me to know because I've been out of that arena for a really long time. But, you know, the idea that you just squeeze a muscle, that's going to make it stronger. Or what is the other one? Was it you or was it Kyle who said, maybe it was you, it was you, um, use smaller hand weights to, to strengthen smaller muscles. I'm like, What? What is that, honestly? Well, and you know, part of me is just like because I know what needs to happen in order for muscles to get stronger, I get really impatient. I try not to show it. I try to be very professional and I try to let people do what they want to do with their bodies. But you know, when I, I say go grab some dumbbells and people are grabbing one pound dumbbells, and I'm thinking, your groceries are heavier than that. Have you ever cuddled a newborn baby? A newborn baby is about seven pounds. Like, come on, come on get heavier weights, yeah. get ugly, get yeah, ugly. It, I would say it's not, it's not just a Pilates program. You know, in the current clinic, I mean, we do awesome work, uh, but it's also like, I don't have anything heavier than 15 pounds. So <laughs> you should see, uh, you'd love it. I almost put it in the Popo channel. Like I tied two kettlebells together with a rope and then I tied <laughs> a thoroughband or not, not a band, it's a resistance band. So it has a lot more resistance than a thoroughband. And I have my client step on the band. So it'd pull, pull more to the floor. And I had them do unilateral shoulder shrugs because I, I felt like I was handing like the Incredible Hulk, like a Skittle to yeah. strengthen. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck we're doing. So like, I, anyways, I had to make like a 50 pound weight. Um, so anyways, so uh, with that, that again is like an education um, 
problem. And, and I've, I've been taught that many times to do like smaller um, springs, right? Lighter springs for, to strengthen the smaller muscles. Cause then if you, uh, something along the lines of like, if the bigger muscles get involved, they take over. Right. Um, and it's, it's not how the world works. Um, they've done, they've done, uh, I'll put it in the show notes. I put it in the show notes a couple episodes ago. Um, there's a study on the activation of rotator or activation of shoulder muscles, deltoids, pecs, um, lats, rotator cuff, et cetera, on common shoulder exercises. And what they found, they found a linear relationship with as the load goes higher at any angle in any exercise, your rotator cuff works more. Your rotator cuff is, a, it's, it can move bones and it can stabilize just like other muscles. And so it's just one of those things, dear listener, that you don't have to worry about strengthening smaller muscles. In fact, I would encourage you to train movements and provide your clients as many movement options as possible. And the muscles that need to create that movement will turn on and like the gluteus maximus is another good one right like like doing a bilateral meaning two feet on the two feet on the floor a bilateral bridge and then like if you have to squeeze your glutes to feel them that's good information and the information isn't that your client's doing it wrong or that you're teaching it wrong it's that the stimulus you're providing isn't enough to turn on that muscle the glute max is like this the the owner of the restaurant he's not like they're not like he or she or they they're not coming out uh to the table to take your order like that's that's the 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 waiter the waitress but they will come out if there's hair in the food and you're gonna be you're gonna be like you know you're, you're gonna write a bad review then they come out and so it's like you just provide enough stimulus and the right muscles will turn on. So I just think you should put a spring on it. I agree. Honestly, glutes are not super, are not glutes. Bridges are not super great for, for glutes anyway. I don't think for the average person. Mm. Yeah. They're good. I like them, but it depends. If you do a single leg, if you do a single leg and you actually turn it into, well, if you just bridge far enough, we just call it something else. We call it a hip thrust. Um, So if you do like a unilateral hip thrust and you put like a heavy weight on the hip, your glutes will fire, especially if you do a little bit of abduction and external rotation. But if you're just doing bridges, like bridges, like you would do in the Pilates studio, you're spot on. That's why you don't, that's why you don't get a butt cramp. (laughs) <laughs> you ever had a butt cramp you know you know bridges like you're like oh shit i didn't know it's on a half spring and then it, then your client's like grabbing their leg they grab their hamstrings that's because those muscles are contracting yeah anyways we had to do a whole episode on bridges that'll be, that'll be a good one um so with that i've appreciated all of our rambles they've been really fun um and it's been really good to water down pilates um with you uh, but with that, if the listeners were to take one idea or concept from this episode, Natalie, what would you like for them to take? Oh, key takeaway. I think my my favorite key takeaway from all of this is if you're if you want to be client centered, figure out what their goals are. Very likely, they come to Pilates because they want to get stronger. So if they want to get stronger, if you don't yet know how to get people stronger, please learn that. Get and and oftentimes you need you need to add, not dilute, you need to add to your Pilates teaching repertoire. It's like, as I was saying earlier to you, Adam, it's like going to Chipotle, getting your burrito bowl, and at the end, the person who's putting all the food in your bowl says, you can have guacamole for free. Not for two dollars, might be more now, but for free. Like if you can add to your Pilates repertoire, you are providing extra value, extra bonus to your clients. And I empower you to do what you need to do to get your clients stronger if that's what they want. And if they don't, if they want Joseph Pilates' original 34 Contrology, please buy the book and teach them that. But I doubt they want that. Client-centered care uh, for the win. Yeah, and just there's... More information is not a threat to previous information. And so I would also encourage, you know, the 
just to, to study movement and, and to study it outside of the modality of Pilates can be really powerful. So just studying like how muscles get stronger. Um, but with that, it has been an absolute pleasure uh, to have you again on the podcast. And thank you, listener, uh, for showing up again and continue to show up for your clients because that is what matters at the end of the day. Have an incredible rest of your day. 